You're listening to Brave and Boss, the podcast, episode 10. On this week's podcast, I am having a product manufacturing guru on the podcast to talk about how to get your product made. So if you have a brilliant idea either to extend your product line, or maybe you're thinking of launching a new business, or you want some tips on how to take some of your products to market and get a better price from a costing standpoint, she's got all the goods. So let's get into it. Welcome to Brave and Boss, a podcast for the purpose-driven founder who wants to grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Christy Sumer. I'm the CEO and founder of the Ethical Fashion Line Encircled, a conscious business coach and passionate about helping you break through your limits and build a brand that matters. Let's do this. Welcome back to Brave and Boss. I'm very excited to have you listening to the podcast. I'm so grateful for your support. Uh, This week's episode is going to be really value-packed. I've got an amazing guest who is basically a product manufacturing expert. So she is going to teach us all about how to make a product and how can you find good suppliers? How can you get good prices? And what are some obstacles and challenges that many of us run into when trying to get a product made either locally or overseas? So she's got lots of genius to share with us. So before I get into that episode, just want to remind you if you're loving this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. The best ways to tell me how you feel about this podcast is to rate and review it. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, it's super simple. You just go into the app onto the show page and scroll down to the bottom and rate and review. Would love your five-star review. Really helps us get more visible. There's, I think, millions of podcasts now. I think everybody has a podcast now. Um, So it really helps us get visible and see, help more entrepreneurs like you as well. If you want to share this screenshot of this episode and tag me at Christy Sumer, that would be great. Again, help me help more entrepreneurs. I do this as a kind of a passion project. I mean, we don't really make money off the podcast, actually pay to have somebody edit this podcast because I just don't have the time to do it. And you know, I do it because I really want to give back to the community of entrepreneurs because when I was starting my business, I was very, very lost and I was very lucky to have a bunch of people lifting me up and helping me along the way. So yeah, help me help you by giving us a great review. All right, so let's get into it and introduce today's guest. Her name is Liz Long. She is the founder of Learn to Make a Product, which is an accelerator for physical product entrepreneurs. She's taught hundreds of people how to design, source, and launch a product idea successfully. So she knows all about those mistakes to avoid when manufacturing products. I mean, I've made so many mistakes when manufacturing products. Who hasn't? But I think working with somebody who's been there, done that is a huge time saver and can save you a lot of money in the beginning as well. We'll cover off all the things that can happen and what you can do to get your product manufactured successfully, whether you want to optimize a product you already have, or maybe you want to start in a new category where you don't have a supply chain. We're going to touch on everything. So I'm really excited to welcome her to the show. So let's get into it. All right. I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest. She is the founder of Learn to Make a Product. Please join me in welcoming Liz Long to the podcast. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much. So let's start off with the basics since, you know, some of my audience may have heard of you, some of them maybe not. So tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do and what your why is. 
I run a platform called Learn to Make a Product where we teach, you know, educate, guide people through the process of launching a physical product. So there's all kinds of business types out there. And we really focus on physical items, the e-commerce space, and the people who come have great ideas. You know, they have inventions or they have brand kind of concepts they want to launch. And we're giving them really the, the tools and the information to get through all of those very specific physical product stages, you know, manufacturing, product testing, shipping, all of that stuff. So they do it successfully. And that is really my why. There is so much money that can be wasted and time really with any business. But the thing about physical products is if you mess up, you know, an inventory run, you can't really get that back, right? That, that's lost. <laughs> and so I feel very protective over the people we work with and I want them to kind of get to the finish line. Okay. So tell me how you got into this. Like, how did you start teaching people how to make a product? Like, did you, did you work for a product manufacturer or did you launch your own product and have like a bit of a fail? Like how did you? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I I did. I had a a success and a fail. So uh, we were one of the first reusable bag companies, uh, the, Mm -hmm. the first business I launched. And so it was before, you know, paper and plastic bag, like replacing paper and plastic bags was a thing. And as a result, we got a lot of business from very large companies all around the world that were ordering these bags. But it was me, like as a just graduated college student, you know, working with factories and I didn't really know what I was doing. So we'd get an order of like 50, 100,000 bags and I would sometimes mess it up. I mean, I, we had really, really stressful experiences. And so while it was kind of a commercial success on the, on the front end, on the back end, it was a little more chaotic. And that was... <laughs> you know, a somewhat traumatizing experience for me. And the way I coped with that is I just dove in and learned everything I could. I got some kind of factory owners to mentor me and I, and I taught myself everything. And on the other side of that, I felt just so kind of, I loved learning. I loved this kind of stuff. And so I was eager to share it with other people. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important that people kind of understand in this landscape that, you know, this, this kind of stuff happens. Like I think oftentimes we can see on Instagram, like somebody starting a business and it looks really amazing. And then on the back end, they're like treading water, you know, yeah. that's, such as the product-based business world. So I love that you've been able to take that and turn it into a way to help other people. I think that's really great. It is. And, you know, I just had one of our founders write the other day and said, I'm buying a house with the money I made. And and it's like, that is so gratifying. I mean, that is, that is, yeah, that's the why. That's amazing. That's amazing. So So the theme of this episode is really talking about getting a product manufactured successfully, which is a topic I am very passionate about. And I have recently lived through with my other business. I have a fashion brand, a couple of manufacturing snafus, even though we are, you know, getting onto close to 10 years old, you know, it can still happen at any point in the journey if you kind of let those balls drop. So I want to start kind of more at the beginning though. So, you know, say somebody's just like got this idea, like a lot of our, you know, businesses start from either a pain point or something we invent or some opportunity we see, where do you even begin when you start and you brainstorm an idea of a product that you want to create? Like, how do you, assuming you have no background in this, how do you even get going at that point? Well, so most people have, you know, they have an idea of what they want to make. I I rarely find the issue as someone is struggling to come up with an idea who comes to us, but the things that they, the thing that they need to do is really make sure someone wants to buy that idea, right? That's like step number, that's step zero that we don't want to go beyond. And, 
it's all about setting your expectations. So if you have something that not a ton of people want, but maybe you throw it on Etsy and you know, you get a couple orders a month, that's a different kind of business, a different kind of investment and expectation setting that you should, you know, go forward with. So it's really assessing that need in the beginning. And there's, we could talk all day about like market research and all of that stuff, but there's two really simple rules of thumb. One is, are other brands selling this item successfully? Like, do you know it's moving? <laughs> you know, do you, do you see other brands selling it? And maybe you have a totally new spin on yours. You know, you want to do it better and different, but is it something that's selling? And so that's number one. And number two, if you have some invention, something different that isn't selling, you really have to take the time to go out and talk to people. And my rule of thumb is a hundred people, which is a lot that it takes time. But if you get a hundred honest opinions, you know, of people in your target customer demographic, you will either change your product idea slightly, or you will not start with it, or you will feel really good about your investment. Mm. That's such good advice. And I think a lot of people would shy away from that. So like, what do you, like, do you recommend doing like a survey or calling people? Like, what are we talking about? I always feel like this is a good litmus test of like, are you cut out for entrepreneurship, right? Because you have to get really scrappy. Like some (laughs) people will go, let's say I'm making like a kid's product, right? I'll go into like a local mom group and I'll say, Hey, I want people to fill out this survey. I'm going to give a $50 Amazon card to one of the people. And then I sent an email to like 20 of my mom friends, like, Hey, I need, you know, 20 more people to fill out this survey. You just, you just start hitting the pavement. And most people are creating a product kind of in their niche. So they're already in the world that they're creating, right? If you're like a musician, mm-hmm. you're creating some, so, so you usually have access to your customers. If you don't, if you have zero access to your customers, that's already a bit of a red flag because that's just going to be a problem for other reasons. And you really mm-hmm. knowing and understanding them. But yeah, it's it's about that determination. And I tell people like, listen, if you can't do 100, because some people are just so eager to get out there, do 30. If you can't do 30, then really like it's not, you know, there's again, there's other issues there. Yeah. I mean, I think this is actually one of the most skipped steps of starting a brand is that product market fit. And I'm sure you come across this with your clients that you, you consult and coach with. It's that you know, you have this product idea, you think it's brilliant. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to go get it made. But I love that you've called that back a bit and said like, whoa, let's make sure that this is actually a viable product, which is so, so important. And that somebody wants to pay you for it. You know, I remember when I was first starting my business, you know, my first piece was this like super versatile scarf dress thing. And I was like, you know, doing that research online. Yeah. There's a product, but it's not as good. Like I was like, okay, check, check. And then I brought over friends and I would put it on them and make them try it on and see what they thought. And they thought it was too complicated. So then I had to simplify the design. So I really think there's a lot of value to like that iterative methodology that you're talking about there as well. So let's say you've gotten some research, you know, from your mom friends or something like that. And they're like, yeah, this is a cool idea to develop this, this product for kids. Like, where do you go next? So typically we'd start the sourcing process, but there, you know, and by sourcing, I mean, finding a manufacturer, but there is one other kind of like homeworky step that I, and I don't like people to skip. And that is just understanding what will be required of you either financially and or skill wise, right? Because some people can do some things themselves and they don't have to pay for it to make this a sellable item. And there's two buckets that we need to fill there. The first is actually physically producing the item. So that requires going to manufacturers and we'll talk a bit more about that, but just getting some base pricing. So, you know, like, okay, about $5,000 or about 10,000, you know, some basic pricing of what it will cost to make your item. 
But the second bucket is, you know, how are you going to brand it? How are you going to photograph it? If you're getting up your Shopify site, you're probably going to need a little bit of custom development. Like we want to do a back of the napkin kind of, you know, some addition and, and checking off those items because some people come in there like, I was not planning on this, right? This was like way more than I anticipated. And the problem becomes if they don't do that research up front, they might go and make the item and spend their money there, but they're really not set up to sell because they're not positioning it well. It's, you know, you have to have a, a beautiful product. You have to describe, there's all sorts of steps. And so they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because they spend all this money on getting it made and they just really didn't anticipate the cost to actually sell it. So we just like to have a realistic understanding. And I'm never someone who says, you know, if you don't have the money, you shouldn't make this thing, right? There's there's always ways to kind of budget over time to do it more slowly to crowdfund, but you just need to know what you're getting into. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And like, that's definitely a barrier, I think, to a lot of people starting up is the funding. And I was actually just talking to a friend about this who has an existing business because, you know, there's so much that needs to go into making inventory and whatnot. So, and especially for certain products where you just don't have the luxury of making like 10 pieces to start or a hundred pieces to start. So what's your best advice for like scaling up? Because, you know, I often have told people, you know, start slow and then scale up with what it works. Like, do you recommend that people start with one or two products and kind of scale up? Or is it best to go into the market with like a broader product offering or does it really depend? It depends because if you have some sort of invention, I'm thinking of someone I'm working with right now who's making like a kind of a device for sleeping, right? She, She doesn't need... A whole bunch of products. She might add on supplemental stuff, but her her site, her web experience, where most people find her, can kind of hold that. If you are making an apparel line, let's say, and you launch with like one dress, that's probably going to be a problem because people just aren't used to. You know, it's going to feel really thin. So that usually requires you getting some feedback about really what your kind of ideal offering is. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point too. I think, you know, what, what are you bringing to the consumer? What do you need to get there? Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about what are some of the key challenges that people run into when starting to manufacture a product? So the big one I hear is like, I've contacted factories, you know, they've gone on Google, they've gone on various sourcing databases, and I haven't heard back from anyone. I hear that most commonly. And that is usually not because suppliers are ignoring you, although that is one of the reasons, but there's like, there's three reasons that's usually happening and we can troubleshoot it pretty easily. So the first is that your message is really giving them red flags, right? You sound inexperienced. You sound, you just send a really long message, you know, suppliers, especially ones in kind of high labor countries. So like Canada, the USA, they tend to want to take the least amount of time out of their day to do admin, like design stuff. I find people overseas are a little bit more willing to do that where labor is a bit cheaper. But if they, you know, all in all, if they sense you're going to be a drag on my time, they're just not going to prioritize getting back to you, right? They're not there to educate you. They're there to like assemble and replicate your product. So that's number one. We want to sound really good and we want to be short and clear. And we have a download on our site that gives you a template that you can use that's really helpful. And that absolutely increases people's response rate when they use it. So that's number one. Number two, is that people are contacting factories through all of these sourcing bases, sourcing databases. So kind of, you know, websites that list a whole bunch of different suppliers and there's new ones that pop up. I can't even keep up anymore, right? They're, they're really common. But so they list a bunch of suppliers 
And the way their business model works that the average layperson doesn't know is that when you contact a supplier through their website, right? Not all those suppliers have a subscription to this company's website. That supplier then gets a little message on the back end that says, hey, you know, you've had five inquiries today, sign up for one of our plans, right? So you're not hearing back from those suppliers because they never got the message in the first place. Does that make sense? It's like a weird, yeah, um, yeah, it's a weird totally. a business model thing. So, so I always suggest if you are looking for suppliers on sourcing databases, go find their actual website, you know, use the database as a great way to filter and find names, but contact them through their actual website and make a phone call, right? Say, what's the best email? So you don't go into spam. It, again, it takes extra work, but it will get you through to people. And then the third most common reason is they're just contacting the wrong type of supplier and they don't know it. Like, you know, they're making an apparel line. Let's say they're making like active wear and they, they're contacting like knitwear, like sweater factories, and they just don't realize that they're different categories. So that gets more common with more complex products and they're just not sure the type of supplier. And that's where working with someone who can say, listen, you're just not searching the right way. Here's the type of, you know, business that you need. And then you have a much straighter shot. Mm. Yeah. That's such a big thing. It's like running a gauntlet, trying to find a manufacturer. Like I've told the story often about like finding my first manufacturer and how many people like kicked me out of their factories because they didn't want to make my product. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. And I don't know. So you've been, you know, you and I both have been doing this a while, but there's been Mm. this new breed of business that has popped up that kind of preys on these newer Mm -hmm. makers. And they say, you know, we'll manage everything for you. We'll manage your whole supply chain. We'll get your Mm -hmm. products made for like $3,000 a month or some, you know, Mm -hmm. high fee. And it's not even about the money there because that's, that's neither here nor there. It's that you're just not getting good value. So the way these people work is that they often have a network of like one factory, three factories, like they're working with a very small base of factories. And so if that factory is not, doesn't specialize in your product, you come up against some material constraint, you're stuck. And I, and I see this happen regularly. And then beyond that, you just don't have direct control over your own supply chain and you can't move as easily. Mm-hmm. Like if all the components and parts, like, you know, you were talking about the, the scarf dress, like the fabric and the labels and the sewing, if, if someone controls all of that, let's say you want to swap out one of those kind of nodules on the, on the, you know, nodes on the chain, you you have to start from scratch again, right? Whereas if you've sourced each of those individually, you have that control. So it's not to say you shouldn't get guidance with setting up your supply chain. That's, you know, what we do, but the the purpose is putting the person in direct contact with these suppliers. And then Mm -hmm. the final thing I'll say is once you learn how to do it once, right? When you really muscle through, I feel like that's a theme we're coming on in this conversation. Like when you muscle through and do it once, it's going to be so much easier for all the future products you launch because you'll be comfortable. You'll know what to do. You know, people pay those exorbitant fees because they're scared. And Mm -hmm. that's why those people offer it in the first place. So yeah, I'm pretty, (laughs) I I don't love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why kind of your business exists is like to help people through that. And I mean, I've, I've had, I do some coaching and I've had some coaching clients engage with those types of full package, almost like hybrid uh-huh. consultancy intermediaries of, you know, production design, whatever. And they're, they are very expensive and, and you're right. You lose that ownership of a supply chain and then you're paying more for your product because they're getting a markup. Probably exactly. Every That's right? so yeah, I full, fully get that too. And I, I mean, it's, it's hard to figure it out, especially if your background, you know, my background's not fashion actually. So for me, like 90% of it was figuring out how the hell do you make 
an apparel design. I don't know. Like who, I don't even know who I need. So, and this was before the time of like courses on this. And now they have great people like yourself who can help navigate that. But yeah, it, it's definitely a mystery and it takes a lot of legwork and there's no easy route around it. But like you said, I think to the other point on the research, like this is what separates entrepreneurs because the people who are willing to do this work are the people who gain the fruits of the labor. Yeah. And it's like, if you worked with a trainer or something, you know, the research is, it can be challenging, but you're not wasting your time, right? You're doing really efficient, like powerful research. Whereas when you're just spinning your wheel. So it's important to know what, you know, you should be focused on. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about pricing. Cause I think this is an interesting point that I'd love to get your perspective on. So when you're just starting to work with a manufacturer and you want to get negotiate pricing, do you have any tips or tricks for going in to negotiate pricing? Like, should you already kind of have a cost in mind or give them a range or a minimum? I don't or like maximum? to give them a number up front. So okay. I like to go out and get three to five reference prices, right? I We won't usually negotiate unless we're confident that the landscape is indicating that the price should be lower, right? And you'll get that through that research. And then the second thing is we'll always ask the supplier, you know, is there something about the design that could be made more efficient? And you'd be amazed that that they didn't tell you up front, you know, it seems like, well, why wouldn't they share that information? But they won't always, they're busy. And yeah. so, so we always want to investigate that kind of low hanging fruit. But when we do have those reference prices and it's a supplier we like, you know, we'll go and say, hey, well, just be really honest. I, I find that's the most effective way to do it. You know, we've gotten these other prices. Could you come down at all? And sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. But I find it actually better or more helpful to a lot of newer people to negotiate the minimum rather than the price because that minimum really affects their initial buy-in, you know, how much money they're forking out, how much is going to be left over for all the other things they need to do, like take photos and do their website. And so if we can bring the minimum down, it's a huge help. And they're often more flexible with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point too, because on your first production run, you may not want to run five. Exactly. Days, it's, you know? it's so, so important yeah. not to do that, even if you can. Yeah. And we often at our brand will run lower units on a new product launch and yep. at a higher cost. Yep. Just because it's less risk than running higher units at a lower cost. And, you know, we've all had those products and I've had many that don't Just do don't. very well, you know, and then you're stuck with that inventory and you're marking it down and it, it weighs down your cash flow. So I can definitely see the advantages to like. And I think that attitude is really what people should take you should hold, you know, with all pricing, like your first initial order is not about your margins. It's about traction. It's about getting traction out in the world. And so one of the mistakes people make is let's say they're going to some small domestic factory and they're making like 200 of something. They will then price it to the end customer based on their tiny order. Like the customer is, is paying for their small volume. And I don't love that. I I don't think that's a wise business strategy. If the goal of your business is to ultimately make more of these. And you should really be almost like futures pricing, I'll call it, where you go and you talk to the manufacturer, okay, what would it cost to make these at 500 or a thousand? And then base your pricing almost like that aspirational, right? Mm. Because if you don't ever get there, that means your business didn't grow anyway. Like it's just like, you know, like you have other problems, but it means that you'll get more traction and you're just giving customers a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. It's a challenge, I think, here. Like, I don't know how much you work in the apparel industry, but what I found, at least onshore apparel, is like 
there's not really that much with no economies of scale <laughs> as you not. scale up. <laughs> yes. So I think it's also sometimes a little, it's hard at the beginning. Now I know like if I move manufacturers, I can save like, you know, 15% by going from this person to this person and increasing our volumes. But within that person, like to get up to 10,000 yes. units, I'm not saving that much money, to be honest. It's hard with onshore, I think, but like definitely definitely you can move around. That's like the biggest opportunity, I think, is taking your production to a place that's more suitable for scaling sometimes too. It is. And and my mental model is usually, you know, start domestic, go overseas for some product categories. And so when we do that research, we'll research the overseas cost, even if they have no intention of doing it their first year, you know, kind of phase one of their business, but then they're kind of comfortable knowing their, their destination. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So what are some tips about, you know, we've talked a little bit about finding suppliers, but what are some tips about keeping good relationships with suppliers? Like what are some things that during the manufacturing process that, you know, entrepreneurs need to think about? So, so number one, if you do nothing else, it is just do not send long emails. This is not, this is like, <laughs> Pro tip. I mean, for every like, thing no, <laughs> no factories like it. And they're also not always just like sitting behind a desk all day, right? It's a slightly different industry. And I am just amazed at the kind of verbal, uh, just, yeah, send short, clear emails. I always like to bullet things. I'll even have people like, this might seem like really granular stuff, but I'll have them put all their questions into a shared Google doc. So the factory doesn't have to like dig through emails, can just go in, answer stuff, you know, in a shareable doc and just make all of your questions or next steps, individual thoughts and super clear, right? And then do not lean on the factory to like teach you to source necessarily individual materials for you, all of that extra stuff, you should always be asking them, you know, is this within your wheelhouse or is this something I should do independently? And there's different kind of ways to say that depending on what we're asking for, but not assuming that they're just going to be happy to, you know, do all of the tasks required to run the kind of production part of your business. That's really the big one. Honestly, there's there's other small things, but that's the, the number one reason I see factories start ignoring people. Yeah. And definitely pay your bills on time. (laughs) Yes. That too. too. (laughs) You want priority on your next run. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, that's true. That's a really important one. And I usually take that as a given, but if you, (laughs) it's, but, but no, you bring up a good point in that you have to be a good client. These are factors, especially now with everything going on overseas, they're busy. Like Mm -hmm. they don't have to take on every person. And so Mm -hmm. you want to be, do you want to be prioritized? And Things are going to happen. No factory is going to produce your product perfectly, at least not usually on the first go. You know, some do better than others, but it's important not to get hysterical when things go wrong <laughs> because they just don't, they don't need that. They don't, they don't need that drama. And so, yeah. you know, just again, with the feedback, when something goes wrong, clear, short, take all the emotion out of it. Like that is how you'll have productive relationships with these people. Yeah, that is, I laugh because I've I've lived it. I don't know why it's funny to me now, but yeah. like I think in the time I might may have, may have cried. I mean, it's happened many times in my journey where yep. there's been a product that comes out not looking like how it was supposed to, for sure. But that's great advice, and I love the email one too because also I find a lot of in the manufacturing side, and I can only speak to apparel, but I imagine it's very similar in a lot of other industries. If it's not super high volume, our techie product that you know, they are still makers at the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. they just don't operate as e-commerce brands. Like they're, you know, we have some factories where you couldn't find them on the internet. They don't have a website. They don't have an email address. (laughs) Like 
they write their invoices on hard, you know, carbon copy paper. Um, and, and then, like you said, they have choice. They only choose to take on clients they want to take on. And so you have to nurture those relationships. And we had one recently where they're quite old. The people who run the factory, they've been in the industry for like 40 years. And they had to move a bunch of fabric around in their space for us to get some fabric out. Fabric's very heavy and they hurt their back. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, are they going to fire us? So I sent them a plant and I like called them and I was, I felt so bad. And they were like, oh my God, it's okay. We're fine now. But like, you have to like go above and beyond. And that's a factory that I'm paying to make my stuff and I'm paying yes. premium. But they're like a really great relationship for us. So we want to make sure that they stick with us. You know what I think? It's in the beginning, people don't realize how kind of few and far between good factories are. So when you do find, they just think, oh, there'll be more. When you find someone, go go all out, make them feel appreciated. Totally. Yeah. I used to bring donuts all the time when I go visit my factories in Toronto. I just dropped Tim Horton's donuts. I learned that from a previous career that people always love, you know, Timbits they're called up in Canada. They're like little donut holes. So I just drop like dozens and dozens of those off in the factory for the workers. And it's just like a little thing, but it, it's, yeah. you know, letting them know you're thinking about them. It's yeah. a thoughtful gesture. So yeah, that's definitely something to invest in for sure. So before we get to the hot seat questions, I just want to ask, are there any tools or apps that you swear by for managing product manufacturing or that process? So it's not specific to product manufacturing, but I use Loom. Are you familiar with Loom? Yes, Every day. Love yeah. Loom. Yeah. I, I couldn't live without it. And it's because so much of what I do is kind of creative direction once we get past the manufacturing stage, just for all kinds of reasons. I'll often answer email with Loom. So, uh, so I love that. And, you know, good old Asana, I, I, I use that regularly. Those yeah. I'm kind of boring. Those are my favorites. I love Asana. We use it at encircled as well. And then Loom's a favorite of mine because it's just so much easier sometimes to just describe it without having to get on the phone. That's the key. That is why Loom is so successful. Yes. No phone calls and also no (laughs) No. emails. I don't have to type anything. Like, yeah, I'm getting like arthritis in my fingers from like typing throughout the pandemic. I just don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so tell me what's next for you. Like, what are you working on right now? And like, how do people work with you? So I am working on putting together a resource center so that people can come and there'll be so many kind of snippet type videos and podcast, like just all sorts of content that they can use to teach themselves about where they are specifically in the process. So that's the big goal. And the way people work with us now is we just have a membership package where they get access to some consulting. They get access to all our like tools and templates and factory lists and all of that good stuff. Great. Well, that sounds awesome. So we'll definitely get those links before we wrap up and we'll make sure we put them in the show notes. So let's get into a couple of hot seat questions before we go. So what's one non-negotiable step in your morning routine? Okay. So I have been worked for myself for a long time, multiple businesses. I'm very careful with how I manage my money. And every single morning I sit down, I'm in the bank account, I'm transferring this and that. Like I, I never don't do it. Even on Sundays. <laughs> I just, I, I've never like had anybody say that, but I am impressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also because, you know, like when you pay your own taxes, like I have to yeah. put that somewhere. Yeah. So, so yeah. just of many, you know, of many years of just having a lot happen, I, that's really given me a beautiful flow and I, and I love it. So it's cool. my way to start um, the day. Awesome. What's your favorite business book that you've ever read? So I, I'll tell you the book I, I kind of make everyone read. It's called Building a Story Brand. And it talks book. about 
Yeah. It talks about the importance of messaging, copywriting, because I find people struggle to connect, right? They, they, they might take gorgeous photos of their product, but that, that connection that happens between a brand and a customer, which is almost like the connection between two people, right? It's a, it's this thing that you, you have to do that well. And I think building a story brand explains both why it's important and, and how to do it. Mm-hmm. Love that book. Love the podcast too. Amazing. So speaking of podcasts, what's your favorite podcast that you're listening to right now? I listen to the all in podcast every Friday. It's like oh, tech venture capital. Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. I will look that one up. And last but not least coffee, tea, or something else in the morning. <laughs> all of it. So I, I start with a cup of coffee, then I have green tea. Then I have a CBD seltzer. That is my, oh, nice. that's my day. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lovely morning routine. <laughs> well, yeah, throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So thank you so much for your time, Liz. It was really fun talking about manufacturing. It's a topic I love talking about and we haven't had too many people on the show to talk about it. So it's been very educational. So if people want to connect with you further and learn more or work with you, where can they find you online? So learn to make a product.com and then Instagram it's at learn to make a product. And I met Liz R long. Awesome. All right, Liz, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Brave and Boss, the podcast. If you want to take your e-commerce brand to the next level, be sure to check out my website at christysumer.com, where you can find all the show notes, free resources, and blog posts and principles to help you grow your online store. You can also follow me at K-R-I-S-T-I-S-O-O-M-E-R on Instagram. Find your purpose, make it happen. I'll talk to you soon.